Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. Well, today we have a wonderful guest on our program. My guest's name is Austin Wheeler. Now, Austin got started as a youth coach with the goal of helping kids in their respective sports and their training regiments. After doing this for about six years, he saw kids who were insanely talented struggling with things off the field. He realized helping the dads would have a more lasting impact than anything done at practice. Now he works with dads on being able to balance all the crazy things that life throws at them while simultaneously being able to cut their body fat percentage in half. Now he does this with a three pillar method using schedule, fan food, and activity integration. When these are combined, you get moving and feeling better than you have in years. Austin, welcome to Phoenix and Flame. Thanks for having me. (laughs) This is wonderful. (laughs) Now, tell us about the path that led you to coaching youth. So that actually started, I've, I've been an athlete my entire life, so that actually started with just an old coach asking me, hey, would you like to, to come back and, and help out some of the younger guys? And it's all kind of snowballed from there, actually. So right out of high school and been running with it ever since. What sports did you play along the way? I've tried almost every sport. So like what sports did I play well or what sports did I? <laughs> what? Because <laughs> if it's what I've tried, it's almost everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can tell us everything and then just specify which one you feel like you excel at. <laughs> well, we'll start with, I think, the ones that I didn't excel at, right? I, I played baseball and soccer as a kid. Terrible at those sports, but I, I did really enjoy them. Uh, played basketball, race track, uh, played football. And then one of my favorite sports that I've ever been in was racing motocross, which is put a little kid on a little motorcycle and you send him on an off-road racetrack against other little kids on little motorcycles. Oh, my gosh. I think I started riding when I was about seven, started racing when I was about eight. And it it. It truly is a, a downsized motorcycle. So I still have the first race bike that I ever raced. And I think it maybe comes up to like midway through my thigh, a little bit over <laughs> over my knee at this point. <laughs> this, is this, precious. this tiny little I'm thing. I'm picturing that in my mind going, oh, I, I mean, it's so cute. <laughs> I mean, and the wheels on the thing are maybe that big. It's, but. That was that was one of one of my first kind of where where it all started. Football, basketball, and track kind of were my main sports as I got older, and then ended up running track in college. Okay, 
Because I'm thinking the football, the basketball, the track, were those all school affiliated? Yes, to to some degree. A lot of it was AAU affiliated. Gotcha. Particularly gotcha. for track and basketball. So for coaching, really, particularly basketball, it was all AAU affiliated. AAU. I understand that. I have a... A couple of, I have three kids, two of them are sons and they both did wrestling. Okay. And so I'm very familiar with the the school wrestling versus the AAU wrestling and and all that kind of stuff. So that's really neat that they have those organizations because sometimes schools don't have a lot of support. And so it's nice to be able for you to be able to be joining organizations like that, where they can really get in and have an opportunity to see what they're good at, you know, have chances to go and, and, and play and, See, so you were coaching, you came through AAU. Now, what sports did you end up coaching? Basketball, football, and track. Wow. So I coached AAU basketball, both JFL and high school football, and then high school boys and girls track. That's awesome. And I would imagine that you would have credibility, you know, coming through having done it yourself, because sometimes the the younger youth and they're looking at someone trying to coach them. And especially if the coach is wanting them to do something particularly hard and something they don't want to do, they'd be like, right. you get out of here, do this. You can't do this. Blah, 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 blah. But if, if they saw that you did it and they knew that you went through it, that would, I imagine, did that give you some credibility with them? It, it, it definitely helps. So especially with the uh, JFL football. So the JFL football age group I had was the varsity group, which is eighth graders, right? you got your 13 and 14 year old boys running around hormones are running high they're now in a contact sport with a group of 30 of their best friends and it's like the (laughs) (laughs) the amount that those kids are willing to test you is significantly higher than than any other any other place I've been in the world realistically is is out there on that field with those kids and you know I imagine you you have to play some football Oh my God! Got to tackle some people. You've got to cover some routes. It's you. You've got to get get involved, get hands on with it. Otherwise, they they kind of look at you like, well, this is some guy who showed up to yell at me. Right? Uh-huh. He hasn't been through it. He doesn't care if I succeed. Yeah, he's not really in it. Um, he doesn't. Right. I'm trying to find a word. Invested. He's not really invested very much. Well, exactly. and that kind of leads me to my my question because your biography talked about how you got more really focused on the dads. And so, cause I, my husband coached football like on a, on, it wasn't AAU, but it was a, a similar okay. type of league. It wasn't through the school necessarily. And he did that it for would, years and years. JFL, I think is what it sounds and our, like. It was called junior. Like it was like the junior version of what was going on with mm-hmm. the high school. Junior and football league. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I saw him do that. He did that. It started at flag and went all the way through. So I kind of saw some things myself and I'm kind of wondering what are some of the ways that the children were impacted whenever their home life wasn't the greatest? I mean, what was it that you started to see in some of the players to that kind of tipped you off that something wasn't exactly you know, copacetic with what all was going on at home. Mm-hmm. So one of one of the first things, and this is kind of my 
my number one red flag that I've developed over the years is when you've got a kid that's excited to come to practice but does not want to be there on game day. And typically what you find is that mom or dad isn't at practice, but that parent is then there on game day. And then it's something about that parent's reaction, whether it be overly upset, kind of super embarrassing, whatever, whatever that parent may choose to do. All right. So one of one of my biggest, I think, red flags that I I've seen is if you've got a kid who, you know, is excited to be around his friends and be excited to play the game, but all of a sudden is not excited for game day. Hmm. Typically, it, there's there's some sort of issue there as to, OK, well, who's going to be watching you today that differs from who's watching you at practice when you were having the time of your life? Interesting. So what did you notice in their behavior changes that on game day, when they would have a a parent there in attendance watching, what did you notice in the behavioral changes? Because the parents wouldn't necessarily notice that because they weren't there, you know, watching practices. I'm sure they had other things they had to do, you know, that the kid was practicing, you know, football. So they wouldn't necessarily see those differences, but you were in a key position to be able to see those boys and how their behavior would change when their parent was watching. So what were some of the differences that you would notice? So it was it was really two main differences kind of on either ends of the spectrum, right? On on one end we would have kids who would basically shut down, right? Kind of going quiet. You see the confidence go from here all the way down to zero. They they stop being kind of the the jokes are so in, in this particular kid's case, right? He was one of my louder kind of class clown sort of, right? We're in the huddle. I can, I can almost nine times out of 10 count on, I'm going to try and break this group up. He's going to say something to make the whole crew laugh. And then we're going to go about our day, right? Where if we get that kid, the class clown, the one who's always making everybody laugh, who's immediately shutting down all of a sudden. Mm. that's that's an issue that we've got it's like why is why is my most talkative kid quiet all of a sudden like that why why what's what's going on there and then on the other side of that you get the uh resilient kind of i I don't know the i don't know the best way to describe because i don't necessarily want to describe it as a, a revolting behavior but it's it's kind of turning, turning on the heel and saying, okay, well, if you're going to come at me, then I'm, I'm going to come back at you. Typically, what we're saying is either kind of a kid who's always willing to argue, get very aggressive with authority, not, not really doing any sort of thinking about, is it worth it for me to fight this fight versus complete and utter shutdown, quiet, complete lack of confidence and just overall, like the personality was removed from that kid. Hmm. That is really interesting. So as I was thinking about the dynamics of how all of this would play out, the courage that you must have had to approach not just the parents, but the dads, because in your, in your biography, you pointed out the dads and Um, you know, we all know sometimes the parents have a lot going on, you know, well, that's true. That's true. Sometimes the moms can be a little chippy, 
um, depending on what's going on with them. That's true. But I just think, and I'm really interested to hear you kind of tell us about your journey on being able to approach the parents and how that went for you and what you learned was helpful and what you learned maybe wasn't so helpful and trying to make that connection with them. So I guess as far as the not helpful side, I've learned that it's not so helpful to try and develop small talk around it and kind of go in all buddy buddy and say, hey, let's talk about the weather and then we can talk about this car and then we can talk about, oh, and then we'll get to the point, right? What I've what I've learned is we're we're gonna get right into it. You may not like it. I'm very well comfortable with with you not liking it. It's not something that I want to say that I'm excited for confrontation or I'm excited about confrontation. But when I started this, I'm right coming right out of high school. You've got to understand that me as a 19 year old kid at the time, as a 20 year old kid at the time, is going to walk up to you and tell you the things you're doing as a parent are causing issues. And you've got to hear this from a 20 year old in a public place. I, I, I was never planning on that going well for me. Right. It wasn't, (laughs) it was never. (laughs) (laughs) In what what scenario does this end well? (laughs) Right. When, when, when I plan these things out, I, I almost am never looking at this like, hey, you know, this is this is going to go great for me. No, there's there's a good chance a 40 year old might try and punch me in the face. That can happen. That's that's a likelihood. I'm at a point now where I've you kind of just swallow your pride in a sense, swallow your nervousness for the risk and understand that, hey, if I don't do this, it could change that kid's life forever in a negative fashion. So I'm risking getting cussed out in front of all of these people now by doing it. But by not doing it, I'm risking that kid being able to make his dreams and aspirations come true. So one of my first examples of that is is running into a kid who I used to coach years later. Now this kid is a division two starting linebacker at about six foot three, six foot four, maybe 250 pounds of straight muscle. When I went to talk to his dad, I had no idea what was going to happen, right? But years down the line, this, I mean, and this guy comes up to me because unbeknownst to me, I was coaching his younger brother on the same football team. He comes up to me and he says, hey, Austin, what's going on? And he starts talking to me, really starts talking to me like he knows me very well. The dad and did? I didn't, no, the, the player did. Okay. Who is now this gargantuanly sized man who the last time I saw, he might've been like four foot seven and 65 or something. (laughs) Okay. Did you know who he was when he was coming up to you? It took me a few minutes and that's kind of the, the, almost the interesting part, right? Is that it took me a while to figure out that I've known this kid since he was eight because of how far he's come since I saw him. And so for me, it was, that was kind of the switch. That's like, look, his dad could get mad at me, right? We could, we, everybody could lose our cool. This could be an argument. He might not take this coaching life well. I get that. It's a risk I'm willing to take. When you see that kind of end result, it it makes you, I think, more willing to to take that risk. In a sense. 
But now I'm not having those conversations like, oh, this could go wrong. So I'm having these conversations knowing this is the benefit of this going right. And that kind of difference in mindset helps me ignore the risk. I'm going to pause here because you deserve some serious kudos. Now, (laughs) you said, because you probably don't know this, but I'm known as the queen of boundaries. And I'm a psychotherapist and I end up talking about boundaries all the time. And I have a, a personal history that involves some dysfunction and having to set boundaries and all this kind of stuff. So because of all of that, I have ended up being called the queen of boundaries. But anyway, you said, I'm comfortable with you not liking it. See, that is an amazing statement because that is a statement of boundaries Because in boundaries, we have to own our own stuff and know we have a right to our own thoughts and feelings and actions. And the other person's feelings are not our responsibility. The other person's feelings and how they act is their responsibility, not ours. But so many people have such a hard time getting over that. Like the the people that have the Mm people-pleasing behavior patterns, they get so wrapped up in being so afraid of what the other person might say or do that... To the next point, they won't take the risk. You said, is the risk worth it? And the question is, what is the risk? And you said your risk was, if you didn't say something, what price is, could this boy, this eight-year-old, this 13-year-old possibly pay? What, what opportunity is he going to miss if you don't say something? And so because you uh, you like evaluated that risk factor and you decided you cared about him enough, you wanted to do something to step in that gap because he was a child. He could not, he had very little control in that situation, but you were in a unique position to where you could say something. Now, I want to say though, like you said earlier, you were 19, 20 years old and I would not have been surprised if a 40, 45 year old man punched you in your face, if you, if you get mad, you know where, you know, I'm right. I mean, I have been there. I have been with these families and depending on what kind of mood they're in, depending on what they're going through in life, oh, yeah. you know, if you can come and you can try to have a good conversation and really have the the benefit of their child in mind, and it might turn out to be a wonderful conversation and it might come out I mean, they might not like what you're saying at all, but you didn't know that and you did it anyway because you said, quote, I'm comfortable with you not liking it. You are comfortable with the parent not liking what you had to say and you were going to say it anyway because you decided it was worth the risk. That is amazing. I I just think it one needs to be done more often and two for me. After, after you see a kid that was always the smallest kid in the group turn out to be, you know, a starting linebacker at the level that he's at, I, I guess I don't I don't really think about my personal risk as much anymore. Like it's not it's not really something that crosses my mind. It's not something that I ignore entirely. Right. That's that's not to say I'm going to go speak my mind regardless and you have to like it. but. I think now I'm at a point where I've seen enough results of doing exactly that, that it's for me, I'm, I'm in a position of, am I going to be uncomfortable? Probably. Are you going to be uncomfortable? Most definitely. Is, is that 
hour of uncomfort that we're going to have between each other worth the years of benefit that we're going to provide down the line? I think it is, right? We're, we're both going to be uncomfortable for an hour having this conversation, but we're going to get years of benefit out of it. And so to me, I, the, since the risk to reward is so, so high, right? The, the amount of reward that I see coming from that conversation is so high compared to what somebody's mad at me as, as a risk. I don't, I don't really look at the risk as, as a, a valid deterrent anymore. Pardon the interruption of normal podcasting for this important announcement. Are you tired of being manipulated, trying to meet other people's expectations, or feeling responsible for other people's emotions? If you are ready to have freedom, strength, and safety in your life, Go to DanaSkaggs.com slash join to sign up for my online boundaries course. Your normal podcasting will now continue. Wow. There's, there's a whole lot of people out there that, that need to be able to sort of follow your role in that. And because you were saying what I'm, what I was hearing you say was that you don't avoid discomfort. And I'm pointing that out because I talk to a lot of people in my practice who actively avoid any kind of discomfort, their own discomfort, someone else's discomfort. And they will, this avoidance turns into all kinds of negative things. I mean, they might end up, you know, drinking excessively, using drugs. They might end up spending excessively. They might end up, you know, working excessively. It just goes on and on. And it's a, it's on avoidance tactic because they are scared of discomfort. They don't know what's going to happen. And so they're avoiding this discomfort, but you were like, you were leaning into it. You knew you were going to be uncomfortable in these conversations. You knew the parent probably was going to be uncomfortable too, but you did not let that (laughs) stop you because if I heard you right, you said the reward was worth it. That's a hundred percent correct. Wow. The, The reward in growth is I think always worth that little bit of uncomfort that we go through. And realistically, I think, I think my job as a coach is, is to minimize the amount of discomfort that somebody goes through. Right. So that's not to say that, Hey, this is going to become a comfortable process. We're, we're still going to have that discomfort, but we're not going to go just be uncomfortable for the sake of being uncomfortable. We're going to be doing things that are going to allow us to grow. I like that. I like that. Solution focused. So how do those conversations in general happen? So you approach a parent and you clearly have the well-being of them and their child in mind. You are sometimes half their age. And I say this because I'm having a flashback of <laughs> of when I was in practicum, when I was going through grad school, and I would go to group therapy. And I was supposed to run this group therapy class. And I was literally half the age of most of the people in there. And I could see them looking at me like, girl, what do you think you are going to tell me (laughs) that, you know, you look like you just fell off the truck yesterday. I just, you know, what are you going to tell me and all this stuff I'm going through? So I remember what that felt like. And so for you, what, how did those conversations go? with the parents when you notice that change of behavior in their child? 
uh, bluntly, to to put it. Yes, please. We're blunt on this of, podcast. <laughs> oh, that, I mean that's that's how the conversations go. Bluntly, uh, I gotcha. typically starts off with a, "Hey, are you so and so's dad?" Perfect. Can I can I talk to you over here for a minute? Typically, when you say that, you're going to get either the yes or no problem response, or you're going to get, well, what did I do? This, this, and that. And that'll typically tell you how how the conversation is going to go from there. Yeah. So you just like tell them how their child behaves? You say, I'm, I'm noticing this change. Yeah, it pretty much goes, hey, your son is one of, so back to the case of me having the kid who shut down when his dad would show up. It's like, your son is not only one of my top receivers on this team, but compared to everybody else in this football league, he's got top numbers as far as receiving stats. He's one of the funniest kids on the team. He's the center of almost every huddle, right? All of all of these kids want to want to come check in with him, so to speak. But then all of a sudden you show up and he gets nervous. Now, at this point, dad starts getting uncomfortable. I go, I, I, hold on, right? <laughs> hold on. This is, I, I kind of notice every once in a while you got to throw something in. So at this point, I'm throwing in a, if he's telling me things he's not telling you, there's something I'm doing that you need to hear, whether you like that or not. If he's telling me things he's not telling you, there's something I'm doing that you need to start doing. Don't have to like it. It's the truth. And that usually kind of snaps people into place. And it's, again, not the most comfortable part of the conversation, but I think a very useful part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Right. And then and then from there, it just becomes on, look, he's he's outperforming his game day performances in practice on a regular basis. So you showing up and, and screaming at him the way you're screaming is not helping his game day performance objectively right and i'm not trying to hurt your feelings but if we look at yardages just his reception yards the numbers of output he's doing better when you're not here which means as a coach i've got to come talk to you and tell you hey it is in not only your son's best interest but this team's best interest for you to not be here because what you're doing is detrimental to one of my star players you see that and and he's kind of going, well, I'm not being a detriment, this and that, kind of, okay, let him have that moment, let him feel that anger. And then, again, we want to remove it and, and talk about the numbers again. So it's, hey, this week you didn't show up. He did 158 receiving yards. The next week you showed up, he did 60 yards. The week after you didn't show up, he did 140 receiving yards. We're seven games in. This is not a coincidence, right? So at, at what point are we going to say the games you are not showing up, he's the, the top receiver in the league. The games you are showing up, he's average at best. What what about your presence is causing him to not perform well? And then you kind of just end up sitting there staring back and forth with somebody who at that point typically is, is understanding, but they're not wanting to accept it. Mm-hmm. So it's like a, mm. now, now once we present things objectively and it's just the numbers, now they're starting to see, okay, well, 
there's something here, right? It's the coach wouldn't come pull me aside if it wasn't directly affecting the team. And when we're talking about the difference of a hundred yards a game, that's that's affecting the rest of his teammates. Quite quite frankly, but that is that that's at a point where we are now affecting the rest of the unit. So we've we've got to figure out what what it is about your screaming and yelling that's not helping him. What it is about you giving him a side eye every time he doesn't catch the ball, even if it wasn't even thrown to him, is is not helping. Those people don't always like those conversations. It is not my job to keep a parent comfortable, but keep that kid successful. I like that. Keeping your goal in mind, you know, because so many people, they lose their goal. They're so focused Mm -hmm. on making sure everybody around them is comfortable as if they could do that anyway, that they lose sight of what their real goal is. And I, and I was listening to you describe this and I wanted to point out that you started out that conversation pointing out all of the positive things about the son, about the player. Like, you know, he's, he's great. You know, he's, he's a leader, you know, the other, the other players love him and, you know, he does this. And so you started out on a positive note. And then when you're also delivering the information, you are fact-based, you, you brought out data. Like, okay, when you're here, he has this many, he has this many yards. When you're not here, he has this many yards. We're seven games in, this is not a coincidence. And so you weren't you weren't come sliding in with all this emotion and opinion and all this you had you started out with positivity and then you had facts and i think that mm-hmm. sounds like that helped you have that conversation that was was uncomfortable and that you also had your goal in mind your goal was not to make him comfortable and and to my no. people that have listened to me talk <laughs> about boundaries that we cannot make someone else feel any kind of way cuz their feelings are technically in their brain so that's that's the we, truth. It's, we need to let that go, you know, and you understood mm-hmm. that. You understood a lot more than a lot of people that are two and three times your age. That's pretty awesome. Well, I try. <laughs> yeah. I try. I can't make any promises. <laughs> Did you notice that the the change in the behavior was due more to a father's presence or it could have been a mother's. Was it half and half 50, 50? What was it? Did did you notice in terms of parental impact on the children? Truthfully, it's, it was whoever, whatever parent that individual kid was most scared of. Okay. Whoever we were most likely to have an adverse response with. So if, Mom is the one showing up at the game, screaming and cussing and losing a cool over you not getting enough yards, then that's where we got to start. It doesn't it doesn't always have to be one particular parent. Right. Typically, what what I'm looking at is which parents emotional state is the most volatile. When I see you show up at a game, you're going to show up smiling. Your move's going to be a 10 out of 10. If within a game day, you can go from a 10 out of 10 to a zero, to a six, to a four, to a 10, back to a zero, back to a 10, that's where we're going to have the issues. Excuse me, volatile emotional state, whichever parent that is. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wanting to give you kudos for being willing to step in and face someone that the child is scared of. If the, if the child has a fear reaction, there's a reason. And you mm-hmm. were willing to step in and walk right into that. 
and address that with the parent in a respectful way that the, the child can't do that. So you were able mm-hmm. to do that. There's no, really no telling. I don't think it's able to be calculated really how much impact you've had on the boys that have been on your teams and you being willing to, to stand up and do that, doing something they could not do and saying that. I wanted to ask you, you said you got dads involved in this regimen. Was, was that the, yes. the schedule, fan food and activity? Reg, how, did, how did it go from having a conversation about their son's behavior on the, on the gridiron to you talking about their nutrition level and their activity level and this kind of stuff? How did, how did you make that how did it segue into that? So we've all heard the the phrase, the apple falls not far from the tree. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's basically what it, what it started with is kind of looking at that phrase in high definition. This is how I like to, how I like to describe it. The apple falls not far from the tree. We're going to look at that phrase in high definition. So some of these, let's say emotional instability habits that come from, not having any any sort of hormone balance, which if you're sitting down eating Cheetos, watching TV all the time, your your internals can can get a little bit wonky. A, a lot of it comes down to me realizing if I can get the parental figures on a certain certain set of habits, I'm going to get better results at the youth level. It, kind of just as as simply put as it is. I can spend time working on habits for you to negotiate kind of your anger on field as an eighth grader. But if you're going home to parents who always throw temper tantrums, you're going to have that problem again by your freshman year, by your sophomore year, and all throughout the rest of your career. Mm-hmm. So figuring out, okay, well, you're probably having somewhat of a hormonal issue at the dad level because you're eating fast food all the time, sleeping two hours a night, not not kind of investing into yourself, into your own health. That has a trickle-down effect onto the structure of your family, realistically. So that's that's what it's all about, is, is me saying, okay, well, if I could work on your habits as dad, I wouldn't have to worry so much about this kid being so emotionally volatile on game day because you will have had what it takes to to instill a, a much more basic set of discipline in him b- before he even gets to practice so now i'm coaching football not coaching life right mm-hmm. and it, it just kind of really helps put the whole unit on a system for success so in the last few minutes that we have, I'm wondering if you could help us understand a little bit more about what you mean on schedule and fan food and activity integration. And then before we finish up, I want to make sure that we tell my listeners where they can go to get more information about this, because I think, you know, I'm going to have parents that are going to be listening to this interview and they have children that are on teams and they might be thinking, hey, you know, Austin's got it going on. And Maybe if I can go ahead and just kind of get some more information about what he's doing and I can start that and just go ahead and get it going, mm-hmm. take that initiative and set that set that kind of um, landscape for my 
for my child, then that's going to be all the better for them in the end. It, it really is. So that's kind of, as far as the three pillars, I start off with schedule. I think everybody's schedule is going to be a roadmap to success at anything in life, whether you're trying to get fit or build a business or design a product or anything, right? The Your schedule, where we're going to fit in that work, I think is, is going to be kind of the roadmap to success. So figuring out when do you have to work? When do you need to be at pick up and drop off lines? When do we need to be at practice? And all of those things that we can't move time-wise is going to be where we figure out, okay, when are we meal prepping? When are we getting workouts in? When are we spending family time and doing those sorts of things? Mm-hmm. As far as spam food, realistically, I think I talked about it a little bit earlier. Just We, are, we want to look to unprocessed foods. We want to look towards more whole foods. So you don't have to jump on any sort of crazy fad diet, right? If we can take your already favorite unhealthy foods and unprocess them into a healthier version, I can take a lot of calories off. I can add a lot of protein in without changing the taste of anything. That sounds really good. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's, that's the goal. So like this morning, I woke up, now I'm having my regular green tea matcha latte. Before this, I start off every day with a chocolate milkshake. Packed with protein, fiber, all sorts of micro and macro nutrients. I've been wondering what you've been drinking because, guys, you can't, since my podcast, at least right now, is audio, you can't see what Austin is doing. But he has this, like, it looks like this large mason jar thing with this green liquid <laughs> he's been drinking it every so this often a, and i was like what is he drinking <laughs> vanilla matcha green tea latte vanilla matcha green tea latte all right okay so the fan you start food the is... day with something delicious every day mm-hmm. that's that's what fan food is i want to take the foods that you're already a fan of and and make them something that we can work into your everyday diet so typically i notice and this is why I started online coaching, so I could kind of get into into people's phones, habits, their daily life, right? There's one food that you know you shouldn't be eating, right? I'm looking at the camera. I'm looking at you, listener at home. You know what that food is. Stop eating, right? <laughs> I tell you, you know what that food is. I often notice that whenever I look directly into the camera and say, you, stop eating that. Everybody at home something flashes in their brain. They've got one food that immediately comes to mind, right? Mine is chocolate milkshakes. So I reprocess what's in a chocolate milkshake to make it taste the same, but have a much different nutrient density and nutrient background. So I've got oats and bananas and protein and all of that in my chocolate milkshakes and they taste normal. Right. But that's kind of what fan food is, is I want to increase protein. I want to decrease calories. I want to leave taste the same. That sounds spectacular. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can put you on a diet that you don't want to cheat on. It makes it much harder for you to cheat on said diet. So if I Mm -hmm. tell you, hey, you're going to wake up, you're going to have a chocolate cake first thing in the morning. You're going to have a cheeseburger for lunch. You're going to have tacos for dinner. That's an easier system than. You're going to have chicken, broccoli, and rice with unflavored oats and, and all of the, the super boring health foods that, <laughs> that we've, we've all heard of. 
foods, right? Yes, quote unquote health foods. So then the activity integration would be. It's, it's, uh, I, I like to describe it as a very polished version of multitasking. I notice oftentimes, almost everybody multitasks, right? It's 2022. There's, I don't know if I've talked to a single adult in this day and age who can get through the next seven days without multitasking something. The issue with multitasking is it usually kind of comes upon us, right? So we're sitting there, we're doing all of our work, and then it's like, hold on, we've got this, we've got this, we've got this and this that are now all of a sudden right in front of us. Activity integration is just saying, okay, well, I want to read. I know I, I need to do a little yoga. If I plan to multitask ahead of time, I can have an audio book ready while I, I've got my yoga selection or studio ready, while I've also got my green tea latte ready, and, and now I'm ready to go into this next hour of time and accomplish three different tasks, right? That's, that's something we're all doing anyways, I think, just mm-hmm. with the whole multitasking thing. But if we look at what activities we have that would complement each other, would go well together, and we can actively start to pair those things together, then we can kind of have a much more peaceful, planned out multitasking experience. All right. So for example, if you know you need to spend time with kids, but you also need, know you need to get a, get breakfast ready in five minutes to get everybody out of the door, there are ice cream recipes that you can make, but you're bringing in your kids to help make said ice cream. So now we're getting family bonding time. In, right. We're eating ice cream for breakfast. We're still getting in the amount of protein and micronutrients that we need from all of our different fruits and all of that. So it's really just saying instead of multitasking on accident, it's multitask on purpose. Mm-hmm. I like that. So Austin, tell me where my listeners can go to get more information about you. Is there a website? Is there a, a book or what, what is it? Where can they get more information about you? So typically either my LinkedIn or Instagram will have a, have a link in it that kind of organizes everything going on. So any, any different questions about maybe my coaching program or, or you wanted to work with me, maybe you wanted to figure out kind of how I'm doing certain things or get kind of a look at what resources maybe I think would be a good fit for you. Just kind of link in bio and it'll, it'll kind of take you to different steps from there as far as what you think is going to be most useful to you. Okay. And guys, I will put the, the LinkedIn that, that link in the Instagram on in the show notes. So you'll be able to just easily access that and, and be able to get straight to Austin. Austin, thank you so much for spending some of your holiday weekend with me and with my listeners and kind of helping us understand, you know, your background and what you have to offer. It's been, it's been great hearing all of this. Thank you so, so much. Well, it's been fun being here. I appreciate you guys having me. (laughs) All right, guys. I know that you've heard something in this wonderful interview that you're thinking, I, I need to put this into motion or, and maybe you're thinking I have a friend or I have a coworker or I have a relative that really, really needs to hear this. 
then just copy and paste the link and text or email, put it on your, post it on your, your favorite social media sites, however you want to do that. And for those of you who want to get more information about Phoenix and Flame, you can go to phoenixandflame.com. Now I've said before, right now, when we recorded this interview, it's in November and I am still kind of in my construction process. I've joked around with my husband earlier today. I said, I feel like with regard to my podcast and my business, I feel like I'm living in a house with sawhorses all over the place and band saws screaming in the background. And I, because it's all, it's getting revamped and redone and it's really exciting what's going to be coming around the pike with a boundaries online courses and a boundaries quiz and all this fun stuff. And there might be some changing in terms of the the name, the URL that I send you to. But as of right now, <laughs> in uh, in November, it's still phoenixandflame.com. So I hope that you're having a wonderful day and I hope the rest of your day goes fantastically. This is Dana on Phoenix and Flame. <laughs>